You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome, everybody, to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people and introverts who are you know, who want to live their best untamed lives and still want some semblance of sanity while they do it. Um, I'm Leah Burkhart. I'm a writer, a podcaster, a wellness coach, a health educator, and uh, obviously a highly sensitive person and, well, total introvert. <laughs> um, today, on today's show, what I want to talk a bit about, you know, given that I am myself an introvert, and also a lover of people, I find that it's really challenging to marry self-care alongside community and connection, which is odd because community and connection is a part of self-care. You know, Todd Cashton, uh, he's written a number of books on the subject of, you know, like, uh, the upside to your dark side, He's written the book, he wrote the book, Curious, question mark, and I know so I referenced that book in another podcast recently. Uh, But he talks about how we have two conflicting needs that drive us as human beings. On the one hand, we want to feel unique and we want to feel special. We want to feel like, okay, I'm my own person and I am distinct from. And at the same time, we want to feel like we belong. And it was gratifying for me to hear that from a person presenting and you know that it was sort of a universal challenge for all humans because I know for me this feels particularly pronounced especially given that I'm an HSP I'm an introvert and I live in a culture the US of A uh, that celebrates extroversion enthusiastically and so I'm constantly you know I spent a good chunk of my life trying to figure out why I felt so different or sort of out of sorts why I didn't really seem to fit in or to the extent that I did fit in. I didn't feel authentic, even if others were giving me positive feedback. Um, You know, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot to try and manage. And to have a language to describe my experience, as I do now with regard to being able to self-identify as a highly sensitive person, as an introvert, it's really, it's a, a tremendous relief for me because now, even though I might not be in the majority, I realize I'm in a large minority of people, so I'm not alone. And so I, I want to talk about, you know, well, I should say, I for me in my journey, I spent a number of years trying to sort of unravel and, and un, like peel off the layers of false extroversion that I had doused myself with, had, you know, layered on top of me. And so that I could get to a place where I could say, ah, there I am. This is true of me. I do like alone time and it's okay that I like alone time. I do prefer quieter settings and it's okay that I prefer quieter settings. It doesn't make me better than an extrovert, but it also doesn't make me worse than an extrovert. There's nothing that I'm lacking. I am just myself. And I spent so much time trying to work on that, that I got to a place where I think I almost, I'll sometimes get into these cycles of like enforced isolation, self-enforced isolation. 
and realize, sometimes a little, I don't want to say too late because it sounds dramatic, but I'll realize it when it's at a point that I probably shouldn't have let it get to. Whoa, 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 wait a second. (laughs) I think I might be spending a little too much time alone. Now I have to go back out into the world and build connection again. And so, yeah, I just wanted to spend some time talking about how we highly sensitives and introverts can get out there and figure out how to balance these two conflicting needs. So as a general outline, um, I want to talk about what it means to be, this almost sounds, this sounds bad. I was going to say HSP positive, but that sounds so very close to HIV positive that I don't know if I like the connotation. Um, Maybe I'll just say what it means to be HSP slash introvert positive. What it means to say, I'm going to embrace these traits. I'm going to talk a little bit about the false assumptions we have about what it means to be an introvert and or a highly sensitive person, especially as that relates to relationships. Uh, We'll talk about the benefits of having a community for anybody, HSP, non-HSP, introvert, extrovert. We all benefit from connection. How introvert positivity can be like body positivity. Uh, How creating a community workout schedule could help us develop a kind of social fitness, if you will. And then, you know, learning how to treat all of this like a dance. I get to the get how do we get to the place where we're sort of Jedi ninjas of self-care and not just self as in me alone, but self-care that also includes in the um I guess in the picture of all of that in the system community. So, how does one become HSP-introvert positive? So whether you identify as being HSP or introvert or both, what does it mean to see these things in a positive way? Well, it ultimately just means embracing the strengths you bring to the table. We tend to be good listeners. This is true of introverts as well as highly sensitive people. Uh, Highly reflective. HSPs at the very least process things very deeply. We're easily amused, hence why we don't necessarily need a lot of loud stimulus most of the time. Conscientious, as a rule, uh, can integrate complex concepts. We, we have emotional granularity. And I know I've touched on this in previous podcasts, but I kind of want to take a minute to, to cut because emotional granularity sounds so very academic. Um, basically, to have emotional granularity means to have the ability to use very nuanced language with regard to how you communicate your emotions. So someone with emotional granularity doesn't just have sad, happy, mad in their vocabulary. They have melancholy, they have sad, they have depressed, they have apathetic, they have jubilant, joyful, exuberant, and of course happy. Um, They have infuriated, angry, distracted. They have all these sorts of increasing, like, you know, nuanced and specific language for what their emotional experience is. And then finally, we have sensory sensitivity, which gets into that realm of being able to detect things in our environment on a subtle level. So these are some pretty neat tricks to have up your sleeve when you're moving around in the world. But It's interesting, having these traits also can sometimes come with some false assumptions. Both false assumptions that are labeled on us or that are shoved onto us, as well as false assumptions that we might have about ourselves. 
So as an example, you know, one false assumption is that all highly sensitive people are introverted. That's just not true. I think it's something like 30% of highly sensitive people are extroverts. <laughs> Hello? So there's this sense that, oh, if you're a highly sensitive person, you must need to spend a whole lot of time alone. You must, don't, you must not like people. And that's not true at all. It's just we don't like as much stimulus. And it's probably the case that even the most extroverted of highly sensitive people might come across as being more introverted to a non-sensitive extroverted type. So that's conceivable, but they personally, they, uh, highly sensitive extroverts, would not self-identify as being introverted. They would say they feel recharged when they have more time with other people. But maybe just not as many, or maybe in a space that's not as loud and flashy. Like, they wouldn't need perhaps to go to a concert, but they might still love going to a house party. You know, so just putting that out there. Not all highly sensitive people are introverts, and in fact, a good chunk of them are extroverted. Another assumption is that highly sensitive people don't like being around other humans. False! This is true of both highly sensitive introverts as well as highly sensitive extroverts. Most HSPs adore people. They end up in professions that quite frequently are of a helping nature or in the service industry, I guess I could say. So it's not true that they don't like being around people. It's that they need time to recharge more so than the average person. Another assumption is that highly sensitive people don't like novel experiences. Oh, they're boring. They want routine. They want to do the same thing every day. They don't want anything new. That might be true for some, but that's certainly not true for all. Interesting fact, actually. You can be both, and I know I've mentioned this in previous episodes, my apologies if it's getting old, but you can be both a highly sensitive person as well as a high sensation seeker, which basically means that you are both sensitive to risk as well as sensitive to reward. So you can be the kind of person who loves novel experiences, but then also gets easily overwhelmed by them. So the way that this dynamic if you have this sort of in your internal system is you have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. So there's nothing that says that just because you're highly sensitive it means that you don't like novelty. Um, highly sensitive people can't handle quote-unquote difficult and or overly stimulating situations. That's just not true. Most of them certainly can handle it. A good many of them might even enjoy really stimulating situations. You just They just need to be Prime. They need to have the right circumstances like going on internally. They need to kind of be well rested. You want to make sure that your blood sugar is in balance. And they need to have planned for it. They, generally, highly sensitive people just kind of want to, like, they want a little bit of advance notice. But that doesn't mean they don't love stimulating situations or that they can't handle them. Um, another one is highly sensitive people don't need community. They only need solitude. And this is probably one of the bigger ones that I want to drive home today. That is a false assumption. We all need community. And I don't care how rough and tumble you think you are. The only exception to this might possibly be a sociopath. And even then, I don't know. <laughs> um, highly sensitive people don't like to celebrate. They're boring. They don't want to celebrate. They're, they just want to hang home and be sitting in the quiet. No, that's not true. Sometimes we absolutely want to celebrate and join into the festivities, whatever the festivities may be. And finally, HSPs don't like being in a relationship. And in this case, I'm talking about like a romantic one. Also not true. They, they often do. They struggle in relationships, so there is that. But it doesn't mean they don't want them. So let's talk for a minute about, you know, 
take the HSP stuff out of it. What are the benefits of having a community for anyone who's interested in that subject at all, no matter who you might be? Well, as I mentioned from Todd Cashton, it's one of two fundamental needs that we have. Um, it improves our longevity. So if you, God, what was it? Rosetto, the Rosetto study. There's a community that was sandwiched between two other very similar communities. I believe it was in Pennsylvania. And the rate of heart disease in the United States at the time was rampant. I imagine it still is. I don't know what the stats are today relative to what they were at the time this study was done. But what I will say, there was one community that seemed to have virtually none. And by none, I mean no heart disease, which was baffling to scientists, especially those that lived in the U.S. So naturally, with they did what scientists do and they went into the community and they thought, okay, well, what are they eating? And what, how are they exercising? Are their sleep patterns any different? They tried everything they could think of. And, you know, do they take supplements or something? And no, <laughs> turns out not really. Um, what they did though have in common was, or what they did have going for them that was unique relative to other communities was well, community. They, the, the community had virtually no homelessness. And it wasn't because they were more generous or they had better social programs. It was an immigrant community where most people knew everyone else. And so if there was a homeless guy, if there was a guy that fell asleep and was drunk on the sidewalk, chances are it was probably a friend of a friend of somebody who was going to pick him off off the sidewalk and cart him back over onto their couch. Everyone felt like they had a tight-knit uh, not just community, but family. They went to the same church. They attended the same gatherings. There was a strong sense that I am not alone. And it was the only thing that was unique to this specific area relative to other areas that were very close by. They weren't eating especially healthy food. They weren't doing necessarily super healthy things. It's just this thing, this community, this community piece. Uh, having community can reduce stress. At least it can reduce stress if it is a healthy relationship, whatever the relationship might be. It can also aggravate stress, so that's another story. But for the most part, if you feel like they're, the people in your life are people you love and are people who love you, it will reduce your stress. Um, I guess another way of putting this is that it can behave kind of like having a steady income. When you have a relationship with someone, platonic, friendly, romantic, whatever, and you are exposed to them on a daily basis or some kind of a basis of some form of regularity and you share this connection with them let me actually back up take yourself in isolation for a second in your system your brain basically behaves like a budgeter that's that's basically what it's doing. It's budgeting and allotting energy for your whole system. So when you're especially tired, it will probably put the brakes on wanting to allot energy to exercise. If you're feeling stressed, it will steal away energy from one system to help allocate to another. So your brain is basically the mastermind or it's the master budgeter. It's a, it's a glorified accountant determining where the finite resources that you have should go. If you have a healthy relationship, 
that can behave sort of like someone who can, they can deposit energy into your brain. So your brain could get flooded with oxytocin, it could get flooded with like, you know, the, the, the love hormones. And that can give you this feeling of, of like robust energy. It's like, whoa, I can go out there and face the world again. So if you're in a relationship that is healthy, your base, you have access to another source of income, more or less. Sleep could be one source of income, food another, but the nourishment that you get from someone you love is yet another. Uh, a group can increase your motivation. So a book by Henry Cloud and the Power of We talks about a very specific example of a man who was going through, I think it was the final, not, it wasn't just training, it was like the final, um, I, I guess, exam to become a Navy SEAL. You have to go through all of these benchmarks. And this was the final one. And you had to do some absurd amount of swimming and you had to do it in a certain amount of time or something to that end. And this particular person was just, all of his reserves were gone. He was exhausted and he's, and there were people nearby. So at any point he could wave his version of the white flag and say, okay, I can't do it. You guys need to pull me out of the water. So he was safe. But he was just floundering and he didn't think he was going to make it. And then out of the blue, he hears in the distance his, I guess you could say his comrades and they're yelling like, you've got this, you've got this. And inexplicably, this surge of energy courses through him and he thinks, I do got this. I can do this. I'm almost done. And they're yelling and screaming and my, I mean, like screaming in triumph on his behalf they are they may as well have grabbed a rope and pulled him in the water to get him toward that that last leg on the training and that was the sort of segue into for at least for henry cloud his discussion about how important it is to have people in your in your corner and he was also talking about it specifically as it relates to behavior change but really for anything. So a group can increase your motivation and can pull you along when you feel like you're, you're losing your wind. Um, it can also improve your business. So if you're more into the bottom line, you know, when you talk about marketing, what is marketing really? It's relationship building. And some of the best marketing specialists out there have this gift. Some of them are sleazeballs. And I know we like to say that, especially HSPs when it's probably just we're jealous or something. But some of the best marketers out there, the best businessmen, are not actually calloused, horrible human beings. Most of them are just very, very good at building relationships and networks. So if you're someone, and this is pretty common for highly sensitive people, actually, if you're someone who wants to, say, become an entrepreneur, because what you've discovered about yourself is that you have a lot of energy you just might not have it all at the same time. Maybe you're just on a nine to fiver. So you're thinking, I can get an incredible amount of work done if I need to, but I just wanna be able to do it on my own time and I wanna be able to kind of stretch it out and go through ebbs and flows of it. And so for that reason, you might be uh, attracted to entrepreneurship. Being able to create and foster relationships is essential. And then let's say that you want no part of that. You just wanna be able to have a job that you, well, can that you enjoy enough, it, it's stable enough. <laughs> you just, you want it to be a place where it doesn't require a lot of energy to be stolen from you. And you want to be able to keep that job, thank you very much. One of the best things you can do is 
solidify your capacity for relationship building. Most of the time when people get fired, unless the company itself is going under, it has more to do with personal uh, disagreements than it does with a lack of productivity. Which is not to say that if you're not productive, you won't sometimes get fired. But for the most part, if you're likable, people will go out of their way to keep you. So there you have it. So let's pull back a little bit and go back in to talk about what it means to be a highly sensitive person and be have a positive mindset around that and how I'm going to link that to body positivity. I know this feels like a complete tangent because I just talked about, oh, it's so great to have community. I promise. Hang in there. I, I, I circle back. <laughs> um, so body positivity. I'm using body positivity as a kind of um, platform, no, outline or stencil, if you will to talk about introvert positivity or HSP positivity. To have body positivity, it's a movement that was, I got started a number of years ago, and it's about appreciating our bodies as they are, irrespective of what size that body is. It's about reducing fat shaming. So if you are fat, so what? And then even even more, I wouldn't say importantly, but, I would say controversially, this is a controversial component of body positive. Many advocates of body positivity question the assumption that we all must value our health, quote unquote, as a top priority. So this isn't to say that you can't be body positive and also value your health. But what people in the body positive movement articulate, and I have to admit, I I appreciate the argument. They say, you know, why is it that, why should we have to value our health? Why can't it be the case that I value my family, my work, security? Why can't I value all those other things first? What if health just doesn't fall in the top two, five, ten value systems for me? Are you going to judge me for that? Even if I value all kinds of other things that are really valuable and certainly more valuable to me? To which I can only respond, well... I guess not. Um, I value health tremendously, but that doesn't mean that other people have to. So they are kind of coming into the space saying, I'm going to love myself exactly as it is. And I'm not going to let anyone for any reason tell me that that's not okay. And there's a lot to be, there's a lot to admire about that. Having said that, just because you identify as being body positive doesn't mean you don't get to also say you value your health. You most certainly can say that you do both. And this was something that I noticed come up a lot when I was in medical weight management. Uh, you know, when I was, in, I'd have folks and they would, I'd facilitate groups around the topic of weight management. There were a number of people who came in and were struggling because they said, you got to understand, I spent years unpacking and not just unpacking, I mean like untangling my self-worth from my weight. And I finally got to this really beautiful place where I could just love my body as it is and not push it to do things that were cruel. You know, I stopped doing cruel things to my body and I started loving it. And then one day the doctor said, well, I mean... Your blood sugar's getting up there. Your blood pressure's increasing. I'm worried for your health. And that scared me. I, I'm young. Or, I, you know, I've got a lot of life that left that I want to live. I don't want to have high blood pressure. I, I want to make that go away. And so then they start eating 
classically healthy food and they start exercising more often and lo and behold their blood pressure comes down their blood sugar improves and well shockingly they you know it's not that shocking they lose some weight as well and in the long run their challenge is well crap i mean how do i keep these two things together how do i on the one hand you know make peace with my body as it is and love it for what it is, while at the same time being willing to measure my weight, my waist circumference, my blood pressure, uh, my blood sugar, you know, whatever. Can one do both? And of course, as a wellness coach, my argument was always yes. Yes, absolutely you can. And in fact, I would say it's not just that you can, I would say it's imperative that you do that. I would say it's essential that you love your body as it is. And Every time that you make choices about what you eat and how much you move, those decisions are coming from a place of love. It's like you're self-parenting. You're asking yourself, what would I want for my best friend? I'd want my friend to have health, and I really want that for myself right now. So what does that look like? And it's coming from a place of, I'm going to move my body as a form of celebration. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to exercise because it feels so damn good. Not... I'm going to beat my body into submission because I hate it and it needs to fit into a smaller dress size. That's not generally even very helpful at all. I mean, or I'm going to submit or roll over on, roll over and show belly because my doctor finally beat me into submission. That might work for, I don't know, might work for a very short period of time, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a few months even. Like body shaming might get you there, but it won't keep you there. That's not how self-care works. And I, I bring this up because I was having this conversation with my coach because, you know, just like all therapists have therapists, uh, turns out most coaches have coaches. <laughs> so I have a coach that I work with. And one of my biggest struggles, especially in terms of having my own private practice, is marketing and networking and building new connections. And this is only more true now because I'm in a new place. So I'm, I'm having to start in, in some ways from scratch. And it's like, damn, I had to work so long and hard to get to a place where I could embrace some of the traits that I embody, where I could be okay with the fact that I'm an introvert and I could be okay with the fact that my little, my nervous system is more sensitive and seems to prefer environments that are calmer. But I'm realizing, and this is me still saying it, um, I'm realizing how important community is. And I'm, I'm recalling that I got through some of my toughest times not by white-knuckling it on my own, but by being brave enough to say out loud, I'm really struggling. Can someone please help? Please. And having people that I, whose, whose love I cherish respond and say, absolutely. What, what, what? You're in a hole down there? Hold up, cookie. Let me bust out the ladder. Okay. You got the ladder. All right. No problem. Hold on. I'll get a bottle of water. I'll bring down there. I'm sure you're thirsty. I'm going to come and climb down there with you. And I'm not only going to like, I'm not, not only are we going to throw down a ladder. I'm going to climb down this ladder, bringing a lantern and I will grab your hand and I will help you climb out. I will climb back out with you. That's empathy. And there's nothing quite so moving as that. And though I love meditation, and while I 
cherish my time alone. Like there is like, like it's water that you, <laughs> when you're thirsty, there is also the recognition of and the awe that it inspires from me. Uh, that community is as vital an ingredient to my life as food. So, with that in mind, how the hell am I going to go ahead and get started building a community? Like, how do I do these two things? And I'm t- saying all of this to my coach, who's very patiently listening. And she said, you know, it's, it's interesting because I also work with people in wellness and, you know, like health wellness and that sort of thing. And I hear this a lot as it pertains to exercise. And of course, you know, lots of little connections are firing off in my brain because for me, it's, it's one of the more challenging conversations I have with folks who say they hate exercise. I remember a time when I did too, but it's so far away. Because it's gotten to a point now where movement is like my, um, my oasis. You know, when my brain is going crazy and it's stirring around, if I just go out and take a walk, a long walk in nature, it's almost like my body catches up with my brain and the two of them together are at least in sync and then... It all kind of, I can wind it all down. I can get out of my head. My, I mean, that's sort of a, a, the idea of head being separate from the body is, well, dumb. But I can get out of the, the space of imagining that it's only my thoughts that are important. And I can get back into, oh, that's right. There's my breath. There's my heartbeat. That's, there's my feet hitting the ground. Um, and you know, when I'm in certain poses in a yoga class, it, it it never fails to excite me to consider that being in this really uncomfortable pose and holding that pose for a significant amount of time, uh, it has the benefit of, it's like, if I can do that here in this place, it's almost like a miniature training ground for being able to do the same thing in my life. I, you know, a colleague of mine just had her, just had a little baby. So cute. And it was her first and um, a lot of my colleagues were, who had had children I, I don't personally but these other women had and they were talking about giving birth and they were great you know I, I was kind of afraid for my poor dear friend who was going to be inundated with oh yeah it's gonna hurt uh, but these women didn't go there but instead said well have you done anything physically uncomfortable before to which she said yes I mean she works out pretty regularly and she does some high intensity interval training And all of the women said, great, that's one of the best things you can do to train yourself. Not because being fit will mean that you'll have an easier childbirth. That, for lack of better terms, is bullshit. I hate when women do that. And they're like, oh, well, if you had a tough childbirth, it's because you didn't exercise enough. Like, that's, no. I mean, maybe, but it's doubtful. No, no, that wasn't where they were going at all. But basically what they were trying to say is childbirth is rough because you have to do the most amount of work when you are the most exhausted. And so if you've had any experience at all having to endure something that's physically exhausting and still persevere, that skill set, that sort of neural pathway that you've developed will be tremendously helpful in this area. It'll be great. You'll be fine. Turns out she was fine. I mean, you know, it was hard, but she did it. And then she did it like an athlete. And I don't mean she did it like an athlete, i.e. she was a tough cookie or whatever, but she paced herself, she breathed through it, she got through this tough time. Now that's all the physical stuff, but I know for myself, 
my ability to to get through physically uncomfortable like running a marathon holding really difficult pauses you know engaging in yoga therapy like a practice of my own there are certain poses that when i'm engaged in them and i know i'm uncomfortable and i'm still able to hold it that capacity translates into other aspects of life that aren't necessarily physical in the classic sense of what that means so it helped me get through some emotionally turbulent and trying times where it's like, whoa, this, this emotion is extremely uncomfortable. So uncomfortable, in fact, I am now physically in pain. And yet I'm fine. I'm handling it. I'm breathing through it. I, I'm navigating these really tough waters. And so for me, exercise isn't just about physical fitness. It gives me a, a broader experience of resiliency. And so when people say to me, oh, I really don't like it, it's like, oh, I totally understand why you say that. I, I, I do. I get it intellectually. But for me, I, that's just nowhere in my experience at all. And of course, now I'm talking to this coach who's saying, yeah, the way you're talking about building community is the way most people talk about exercise. And that was just such an aha moment for me because, yes, this is how I feel about building community. I just like when most people say, oh, yeah, man, I, I don't always sometimes it's hard. I don't want to exercise. I, I like I try and talk myself out of it. But I always remember, no, if I every time I do it, I feel so great when I'm done. And I realize that's how I feel when I go out and do something social. Every time I do it, even if I'm tired when I'm done, there's a sense of pure satisfaction, a sense of gratification, a sense of yes, I did that and I had this great experience with this other human being and I, I had a moment where I could realize, hey, I'm not actually alone. And just like with exercise, people will say, oh, and when I'm done, I can take a shower and I can sit on the couch for a minute and go, yes, this feels so good. It's almost like you earn your shower. And in the same way, I feel like, you know, when I've gone out and I've done things that are a little outside of my comfort zone, I come back and I really feel like I earned my alone time. I no longer am just a solitary creature who's hiding in my alone time and in my solitude. I have earned the privilege of that thing. And so I guess what I'm, what this has done for me is broadened my understanding of how I might go about developing a community. In other words, I can start seeing it the way that I tell people that I work with around weight management to see exercise. You don't have to choose between being body positive and also wanting to be healthy. They are distinct. So you can be, you can identify as, as like a, on a political level, being body positive and say, and PS, back off of, you know, telling me how to live my life and telling me I should be healthy. I don't necessarily see that as a, a value in my life right now. So go away. <laughs> And you are completely valid in that argument. You know, if that's how you feel, I'm glad you're living your truth. But that's not to say that if you are body positive, you're not allowed to also value your health. You absolutely are. These things are not mutually exclusive. They can be, but they don't have to be. And in the same way, you don't have to be a hermit to be introvert positive or to be HSP introvert positive. You can be a highly sensitive person, embrace it, and also take steps to build a community of people that you, you adore. So anyway, <laughs> um, and I want to say too, 
I'm using exercise as the example because that just happens to be an area that I'm I'm really strong in. Pun not intended. Interesting. Um, but <laughs> I don't just mean I can exercise all the time. I mean, I've just got a really great relationship with exercise. I love to push my body and see how fast it can go, how far it can go. I always seem to get the amount of exercise I need even if it's sort of like I might have this great plan of going to a workout class and let's say the workout class gets canceled. There's no part of me that says, oh, well, that sucks. I'm not exercising then. That doesn't happen at all. I just shift gears immediately and go for a long walk or a run or something. I get some kind of movement in because for me to not move would just isn't really an option unless I'm ill or I'm tired or every part of my body seems to just say, please, just relax for one day, please. <laughs> I've had those days, and I do listen. I don't beat my body into submission. This is part of the reason why I'm starting to really love uh, the different gadgets that we can use to extract data about what's going on in our bodies. So I wrote an article, a uh, blog article about this, in fact, so if you want to go to... Um, my blog post, so www.thehealthysensitive.com is my most recent blog called Show Me the Data. You know, it's not, we now have tracking systems that allow us to track our resting heart rate, our heart rate variability, um, you know, how many steps we've taken. We can track our water and so on, your, our food. We can get, extract all of this data and, and mine it and put it into one place and get a sense of what's going on in there. And I know for me too, the more I've gotten into things like heart rate variability, which is an it seems to be a better indicator of like how well your 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 whole system is functioning. And if your heart rate variability is low, that's an indication that you should well push the brakes. Don't go so hard today. And if it's high, it's sort of like yeah, things are looking good. Go for it, Mister Sister. Try it out. See we see what you can get done today. So, um, I, I know for myself, I like, I love to use that, that, that data, that information. So for me, exercise is something, is a kind of relationship that I have. It, it feels like a dance. I know when to, when, when to move forward. I know when to back up. I, I know when to slow down and go, move with the tempo of my body's needs. And so most of the time, what that means is I exercise every day. And then out of the blue, I get sick or I'm tired. There's something that happens. And... I don't exercise. I let my body rest. That is the kind of relationship I'm realizing I need to start cultivating with building community, with networking, with going out and meeting new people, with experiencing new things that are specifically related to, you know, getting involved with other human beings. Like, I see exercise as a form of play. That's how most extroverts see socializing. There's none of this will I have the energy to, to go out and socialize? Just as for me, it's like, do I have enough energy to exercise? It's like, of course I have enough energy to exercise. The question is just, what kind? Is today a yoga day? Or is today a orange theory day? <laughs> or whatever. For most extroverted people, that's how they see socializing. It's like, well, no, I always have the energy. I mean, yeah, maybe some days I want it to be more low-key, and some days I want it to be more exciting. But, I mean... It's just a human being. What's the big deal? Just have a conversation. My God, it's not that complicated. But for some of us, it kind of is. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> so 
building community has the same, well, it doesn't have the same benefits as exercise, but it's similar in that when you get out into your community and, and meet other people, it's a reminder that you're not alone. It can be just as nourishing. You can get out of your own head for a second. And sometimes, at least for me, I don't know if this is true for you, as much as I love being in my own head, it can go too far. And it's feedback I've been given from people that I love and who loved me, uh, who said, hey, you know, you're getting a little too intense right now. You gotta lighten up. So being with other people sometimes gives me that sort of like, ah, oh yeah, that's right. It's the thing that's happening in my own head. That's not reality. I mean, it's one version of reality, but I can also go out and meet people and enjoy myself. Um, you can make someone else's day, which is maybe even more important. You can give someone else the sense that they are not alone. And that feels pretty damn good to do something kind for another human being. Um, at work, you might feel better when you love your team. Uh, teams that are that feel connected, that feel like they can support each other, are more productive. So if you're more of a bottom line person and you're saying, oh, this is just woo-woo. Nope, not true. Teams that like each other are more productive. Uh, so yeah, these are just things to keep in mind as it pertains to your community. And remember, it also can expand your life and make you feel less stressed and all that good stuff too. <laughs> um, so think about all the areas that community benefits. At home, you can connect and deposit energy into someone else's bank account, even as they do the same for you. Now, again, this is assuming healthy relationships. Unhealthy relationships is a whole nother matter. At work, teams that feel connected can be more productive. If you have a private business, marketing yourself is all about building relationships. In the realm of creativity even, you know, writers often get together to write. There's a lot of meetup groups that are called Shut Up and Write. And even though it's a solitary exercise, they still band together to have the sense of camaraderie so that they don't feel so alone. Um, and health. Your health is heavily influenced by the people you spend your time with. So how can we do this? How can we build community as an HSP? Like, this is the question that a lot of people will ask me. It's like, yeah, 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 okay, I know exercise is good for me. That's all well and good. But how the hell am I supposed to get started? Like, this is physically painful to me, and I hate gyms, and I don't want to have to go out and do blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And in the same way, it's like, God, how am I supposed to get started? This is so hard. Like, I don't like networking events, and I don't want to be having to go to this... Even when I went to the conference in Boston, I mean, it was great, but I didn't do much networking at all because by the time I'd sat down in a chair and sucked up a lot of information, the last thing in that world I wanted to do was sit and chit-chat with people. I like people, but come on, like, I'm I'm tired. I want to go up and, hang, like, relax for a minute. And so I did. So that just wasn't, in the same way, you know, when people who hate exercise, they'll say, well, I don't like running. And generally what I then say in response is, well, um, don't do that one then. <laughs> like, and just like that, I mean, I think I've, I've set this polarity up in my head where if I'm going to go out and socialize and network and meet new people, it must mean I have to do it in a very specifically highly extroverted way. And that's not true. There's lots of ways to meet new people. I just have to figure out, much the same way as a new exerciser has to figure out an exercise that works for them, I have to figure out a way of socializing that works for me. I have to earn my shower, so to speak. So I need to go out there now and treat it like a workout and try and, ex and like an experiment. 
just like someone who's new to going to the gym, it's like, okay, well, try a class. See if you like it. If you don't, well, then that's not your gig. That's fine. So one thing that I'd recommend, and then I'm going to be starting to experiment with myself, I will report back, um, you know, find events that you can explore and that feel safe. You know, maybe start with something like a book club, which I did recently. I love book clubs because what it gives me is a sense of community, but we're all going for a very specific purpose. So I get to do something that is purely introverted. And then for one day out of the two weeks that I was reading this book, I can go in and I can chat with other people about it. Ugh, it's the dream. You know, take a few moments out of your day to check in with someone you know, but maybe only a little. This helps because then it doesn't feel like you have to just start from scratch. Maybe there's someone in your office that, like, you know their name, you know what they do in the office, but you don't know much else about them. And maybe if you cross paths with them, don't just say, hey, how are you? Fine, how are you? That's great, bye. Maybe say, hey, so tell me something about yourself. Like, I see you every day and I don't, I don't know much about you. Like, what do you like to do for fun? Just someone that you feel safe enough to go to the next level of a conversation with. Um, try going out to do things yourself that you enjoy and where you might find like-minded people there. So um, maybe in my case, I love exercise classes and it's very easy for me to connect with people there because I know we all have this one thing in common. It could be a writer's club. It could be a philosophy group. It could be, I mean, whatever. Whatever it is, something that you really love could be knitting. You know, think about things you love to do on your own. And is it possible that there are other people who love to do that thing as well and who might want company while they do it? Just some things to be thinking about. Nevertheless, as you're going through all of that, still honor your body-mind system. Like with exercise, we all have to be aware of the importance of rest days. When you push hard every single time, you fatigue your body and ultimately perform really poorly. Developing social ties is very similar, especially for highly sensitive people and introverts. You know, you want to gently push beyond what your comfort zone is. Like you want to gently sort of prod it and, and see where the boundary is. But you also want to honor your inner knowing when it's too much. If you wake up one day and you had every intention of doing, you know, some social event thing, I don't know, insert whatever that is here. And yet you wake up and you're just absolutely miserable. You're, you don't feel well, you're sick, you're this, you're that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with calling folks and saying, I'm so sorry, I, I've got a migraine, I don't feel well. Whatever the reason might be that you're not engaging and just say, I really wanted to want to do this thing. I'm exhausted, I can't. You might even try and plan rest days in between days that you get out and socialize. So maybe like preemptively say, okay, I'm going to try this new experiment this week and go do this new thing. The two days before and the two days after, no plans. So I can kind of build my way up and get you know get your batteries charged up so you can do this thing. You're flexing your social muscles, so to speak. And also remember you can connect, generally introverts and highly sensitive people connect a little bit differently. So introverts, HSPs, they tend to need deep and meaningful conversation. They're not as great with the, the lighter fluff which is unfortunate because most people need the light fluffy stuff to get a conversation started. So if you don't like it and you just insist on not having to do it, well, now you're just being stubborn and silly. That's like saying you don't want to do a warm up for your exercise or something like, no, no, come on. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, extroverted people tend to be very adept at staying in the light and fluffy, which isn't to say that they couldn't go deeper. Most of them very much, they can, but they don't necessarily go there 
as their primary preference. Whereas introverts and introverts and HSPs want to go straight to, hey man, tell me about your passions. Tell me about what 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 are your biggest and highest values. What do you hope to do when you're I don't know like. What lights you up in your life? Teach me something about you. Tell me, tell me something about your deep inner knowing self. And not everybody wants to share that right away. Not everyone feels safe to do that. So give some people some slack and and embrace your chit chatter. You've got a chit chatter inside of you. I know you do. Um, we tend to like intimate settings for conversations. So extroverts are, are they people who are highly extroverted tend to be once again adept at. No matter the environment, they can just, they, they see a human being, they're like, oh my god, a human, yes, I'm so excited, I want to talk to you. Introverts tend not to be that way. They want it to be quieter, they want it to be a little softer, they want the, 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 the dynamic to be milder, I guess is a good way of putting it. So if that's true for you, try and find settings that are that. Just saying. We tend to want to get vulnerable really quick. Um, we like talking about passions. We want to go to the heart of what you're interested in. We want to express what we are interested in. All that stuff is true of us. Um, I, I don't say all of that to say that our version is better than extroverts. But what I am saying is it is distinct from. Honor that. Try and find ways that you can connect with people that don't make you feel like you're being inauthentic. Just like with exercise. If you don't like running, don't choose that as your primary exercise. Maybe you love yoga. Go, yogi! Like, it doesn't have to be crazy. It's not rocket science. Move your body in whatever way feels like celebration. It's the same with socializing. Get out there and meet people on terms that would put you in a place to want to meet them. And remember, with HSPs and introverts, it's quality over quantity here. So the benefits I talked about with regard to less stress, greater longevity, like health benefit status... You can experience those benefits in a friendship if you only see that one friend once every two weeks. So uh, you don't have to have 200 Facebook friends here, folks. Just one person in your life that you could point to and say, yep, when I'm having a really crappy day, I can count on the fact that when I call them, they'll be able to pat me on the back and say, yep, that sucks, I'm sorry, and I love you. (laughs) Um, You can network by connecting deeply with only one person rather than needing to mingle with many. So don't feel like just because you went to a networking event and only gave out one business card that that means you failed because your extroverted friend gave out 50 and has all like a stack of cards that a mile thick, you know, of all the people they spoke with. Good on them and good on you. Their conversations might have been a little bit lighter and maybe they didn't get as deep and as much of a connection. All, but to the extent that they did, they may just have more capacity as it relates to social connection and social engagements. So for them, if they have 50 cards, they have no problem, you know, uh, contacting all 50 of those people. In fact, they relish it. Good for them. Don't see it as something that's bad. Be like, that's amazing. Good for you. And then look at your one card that you got and think about the beauty of that conversation. Like, wow, I really went deep with this person. I really feel like I connected with that person. It, I, I feel enlivened by that connection that we just made. That's fine. Good on you. You do it differently. You don't also, you probably don't have the capacity to connect like that with 50 human beings in one night. That's okay. Your way is fine. Move on. (laughs) 
Um, you can stay introvert positive even as you gently push your presumed limitations. You can do these things in a way that's unique to you. You know, I, I was, as I was, I don't know if I want to say studying up exactly, but I was reading different articles in preparation for this podcast. And one of them I read was, I think it was titled something to the effect of, if you want to be happier, if introverts want to be happier, they should behave like extroverts. And the actual content was a bit more nuanced than that. But of course, you know, gag me. Uh, but I understood what they were saying. In essence, what they said is often introverts underestimate the pleasure that they'll get from a social engagement and overestimate the amount of drain that it will cause them, which is true. There have been plenty of times when I've gone out and I've been like, huh, I was not bad at all. I have no idea why I made such a big deal of that. <laughs> but there are times when I've gone out and it's absolutely exhausted me. So I don't think that we need to behave more like extroverts, but what I do think is that we need to, just like, well, any skill that you want to hone, we need to work on it. We need to exercise it, if you will. You know, I mean, that makes sense. So the trick is to do it in a way that looks like you. Okay, so in summary, I'm finally at the sum, yay! <laughs> um, sensitivity is not a liability. It can be a tremendous strength. And if you don't get that from any of my other podcasts, please get that from today. Um, we, we really need to be HSP slash introvert positive. You know, let's embrace it. Let's celebrate it. We don't want 100% of the people to be HSPs because that would be a nightmare. Just like we don't want everybody on the planet to be you know, full blast extroverts, that too would be kind of a nightmare. There'd be only talkers and no listeners. In the other case, everyone's listening, but no one's talking. It's really boring. So nevertheless, even though we have a lot of strengths and there's, it's great to be introvert positive, you still, we still need community. We, we are social creatures. So the challenge that highly sensitive people and introverts often have is that in order to meet new people, we have to do it on extrovert terms. Well, we don't have to do it on extrovert terms though. We can, there's lots of, especially now with all of the, the literature out there between Susan Cain's Quiet Revolution, um, between podcasts that are going, there's, there's online communities for highly sensitive people. I mean, you're welcome to join mine and I can, if you're not crazy about mine, I can certainly refer you out, like I, whatever. But we don't actually have to communicate with other people on extrovert terms, but we do have to get out there and build connections. Um, and there's value in making these efforts just as there's value in physical exercise. But as with exercise, it's, a, it's important to find a way to do it that's enjoyable. And remember, treat it like a dance. Treat this like a version of play. See this as an experiment that you can go out and you can do. You know, don't see it as something that is a problem or um, something that is another obligation. See it as an opportunity. So, oh, so there's that. <laughs> um, a few things I just want to update you on. Uh, a new class is going to be coming on board into my website. It'll be about relationships. So I'll be talking about, um, you know, different forms of relationships, how to create healthy relationships, how to create healthy boundaries within those relationships. We'll be talking about love languages. We'll be talking about, you know, fuel tanks and pressure tanks and all the things, like so many good things. Um, and that's going to be coming soon. 
I'm also putting together a challenge within the um, highly sensitive community, and I'll, I'll disclose the details as, as I, I flesh it all out. But if you're someone who kind of likes being a part of, like, you want to engage in a specific goal, um, I'll be setting one up for the new year. So, again, details coming soon. I haven't fleshed all of it out yet, but keep an eye out. And of course, I'll continue to update the community. You should see, because in my uh, highly sensitive uh, community, or the healthy sensitive community, excuse me, I just put out an ebook, and it's like how to survive the holidays as a highly sensitive person. Um, please let me know. It should. It's a link to a PDF. So let me know if that doesn't come up for you. I'm happy to just send you a, a direct attachment if for whatever reason it's not working. So um, no one's given me any complaints yet, but just in case. Okay, <laughs> so I will be talking to you next week. I hope you have a fabulous week. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Always such a pleasure. If you have any questions, please email me. I now have a domain name that you can email. You are welcome to go straight to my uh, website, www.thehealthysensitive.com. And you can just fill out the contact form. And you can also email me directly at, so it's Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. L-E-A-H at thehealthysensitive.com. Okay, now I really am done. Have a fabulous evening. Have a wonderful week. Bye!